We need to sing that hymn more often. And as did you notice, it's not in the Advent section. It's under his deity. So maybe we need to sing that one uh, much more often. As we go to God's word, join now as I go to the Lord in prayer on behalf of us all. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Jesus indeed is the light that came into the darkness. And Father, your word is light. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we could see your truth, your goodness, and your beauty. Father, help us to learn and grow in not only understanding what we are to believe about you, but what we are also to do in response. Father, would you be pleased now to open your word to your people and open your people to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin a four-week Advent series uh, using the hymn, Joy to the World, as a way to launch into the biblical text, and today is joy in his coming, let earth receive her king. Now as you look around, even in this very room, decorations are up, advertising may be in full gear for some months now, but there seems to be one unbreakable universal rule, no Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. However, I did notice in scanning the radio dials here in Cincinnati, there is a radio station that started, I believe, on November 1st, which I think is the exception that proves the rule. But now, everywhere you go, not only, of course, in a church worship service, but the restaurants you go to, the stores you go to, you hear Christmas music. It's indoors, it's outdoors. And arguably the most popular and well-known Christmas carol in the Western world, at least based on publishing data, is Joy to the World. Joy? At the end of 2017? Now the stock market may be way up. Your particular candidate may be serving in office. You may be glad that your sports team has just won the championship. But really, is there joy in the world, in a land now of divisions, and people just having a hard time getting along with one another? With the threat of terrorism looming always over us. I mean, September 11th, 2001 for the United States really did change things. It brought terrorism to our doorstep. We know people that are cynical, that are hopeless, they don't trust anybody. Joy, real joy is often, it seems, elusive. Oh, there may be a smiling face there may be laughter, but is there deep, abiding joy that no matter the circumstances is still there and helps you get out of the bed in the morning? 
Well, as Christians, we know the reason for joy. It's not the stock market. It's not politics. It's not the sports arena. It's not the attaboy at work, as nice as that is. We know the real reason for joy. And no hymn captures that better than joy to the world. Now, just as many people don't know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to the Bible, a lot of folks also don't know what they're singing about. And so today we begin this six, four-week series to unpack the biblical truth captured by the hymn. In other words, to know what it is we're singing about. I've often mentioned that one way to get into the scriptures is through a hymn book. Because as one of my spiritual mentors mentioned to me once, he asked the question, do you ever open this sometimes and, a, and dust comes out? Sand comes out. Well, when you're like that sometimes, I think a springboard into the scriptures is through the hymn book. And Joy to the World is one of those hymns. You all remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel announces the birth of Jesus. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. Well, I did some study in the original language this week and I just wanted to double check and make sure that yes, indeed, the good news that the angel proclaims is the word that we get gospel from. And for those of you who have been with us in our study through Mark's gospel, you saw it in chapter 1 about the gospel. You saw it when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. And thus far in Galatians, in chapter 1, we saw good news or gospel four times. In chapter 2, five times. In chapter 3, which we just finished, one time. This good news of great joy that was proclaimed by the angel upon the birth of Jesus is also the good news that Mark is proclaiming. It's the good news that Paul is proclaiming and as, as he writes the church. Today we will see there is great joy in His coming. Next week there is great joy in His rule. The following week there is great joy in His blessing. And finally, there is great joy in His favor. Now we need to spend a little bit, a couple minutes on the background of this hymn, this carol. Isaac Watts, born in 1674, died in 1748. He is rightly known as the father of English Hymnody. He's the one that led to men like Charles Wesley, led to um, uh, other well-known hymn writers. Isaac Watts, his, his father was a non-conformist um, minister. He, in other words, he didn't line up with the Church of England, and in fact, he was in jail often. And the legend has it, the story is told that one day young Isaac was either complaining to his father or complaining to a deacon in the church about the fact that they were just singing these, these exclusive psalms and the people had no smiles on their faces. There was no delight 
and he was complaining and about the, the, the need for good hymns in the church, good spiritual songs in the church. And, and the story is, is told that his father or a deacon said to young Isaac, as a, probably a teenager, maybe a 13 or 14, uh, that he was told after complaining, well, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you write some good hymns? And guess what young Isaac Watts did? He started to write hymns. Indeed, he was a pioneer of contemporary Christian music of his day. And in 1719, he writes, or a, a, a hymnal is put together, and the title, as you will see in this insert, the title down at the bottom is this, The Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Notice, Watts is not going to paraphrase the Psalms. No, he's going to imitate the Psalms in the language of the New Testament, the, the language that sees fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Watts knew Luke 24, the interpretive key of all the Bible, where Jesus tells his disciples after his resurrection that, you know what? Everything that was written, the law, the prophets, is, it's about me. Jesus, in that same chapter, Luke 24, verse 27, says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Watts is going to look at Psalm 98 and see what it is that concern Jesus Christ. In verse 44 of Luke 24, Jesus with his disciples said this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now in your hymn book, you'll see that Isaac Watts is the author of the lyrics. But you'll also notice that George Frederick Handel and Lowell Mason are the composers of the music. Well, interestingly, for the longest time, people thought that uh, Handel wrote the music that we sing Joy to the World to because it has somewhat um, similarities with a number of pieces in Handel's well-known Messiah. But what we now believe in further research is Lowell Mason, a banker, a composer in Boston who lived from the late 1700s into the late 1800s, he's the one that was influenced by Handel but put together the beautiful music that accompanies Joy to the World. And interestingly, he ended up serving as the musician at Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia, a church that has been greatly influential in grace and peace and in fact financially supported grace and peace in her earlier years. And one of Mason's uh, well-known uh, legacies is he helped reintroduce and, and uh, promote congregational singing. And indeed, when a congregation gathers and to sing a hymn like Joy to the World, it is a great and wonderful thing. Now this hymn was written from Psalm 98, and you can see on the back of the insert, Psalm 98, and on the front you can see the hymn that Watts wrote. There's a huge claim in the opening line of the hymn, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And we, we see in verses 4 and 6, Indeed, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. How can he make such a claim? What is the reason for joy? Well, let's look at verses 1 through 3 in particular. Listen as I read them again. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. You'll notice that first point, that first marker for the sermon is to recognize is to rejoice. Psalm 98, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now here's the question for all of us as we begin. When is a Christmas carol not a Christmas carol? Psalm 98, there is no mention of the incarnation. This hymn primarily celebrates God's universal kingship. But Watt saw the coming of Jesus as the promised Davidic king who will bring light to the Gentiles. And remember, Watts' is understanding the Old Testament is promises made, and children, the New Testament is promises kept. We now see the Old Testament promises made in the light of the New Testament promises kept. To recognize in, is to rejoice. And look at the, the six reasons. Six reasons that we recognize three times there is salvation mentioned in each verse. Verse 1, God has done marvelous things. The deeds that display God's supernatural control. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The, the idea here is a military victory. The Lord has made known His salvation. We see again in verse 2. The Lord has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. God is faithful to keep His promises. We see that He has remembered His steadfast love and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. It's more than just memory. It is when God remembers, He often takes action. It is His favorable action. And verse 3 ends up, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So to recognize is to rejoice, to recognize this great salvation, these marvelous works of the Lord, to recognize that what? The Lord is come to do what? Well, to save. We've just heard salvation, salvation, salvation. But what else? Jump down with me to how the psalm ends, verse 9. He's just talked about heaven and nature singing. And then in verse 9, before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. He will judge fully the earth, the world, and He will judge fairly with righteousness, with equity. 
So not only is there a huge claim in the opening stanza of this hymn, there is also a huge call. Let earth receive her king. The indicative joy to the world, the Lord is come, is followed by the imperative. The statement is followed by the command. Let earth receive her king. The claim that, that Watts is making in his hymn has a so what? What is the response to this massive claim that the Lord is come? Well, using the language of the hymn to make the connection into the New Testament, the Apostle John picks up on the idea of receiving. So turn with me in your Bibles from Psalm 98 over to John 1. John 1. We read 1 through 18, but let me read again 9 through 13 in particular. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here we see not only to recognize is to rejoice, but here to receive is to believe. Notice in verse 11, Jesus is rejected by his own people. Rejecting the word of God, rejecting the word in the flesh, Jesus. He's rejected. But notice in verse 12 at the beginning, but Jesus is received. Who's he received by? He's received by those born of God. And we see that in verse 13. Now, this receiving implies not some sort of intellectual agreement about some facts about Jesus. You know, pass a test. Who was Jesus? But rather, it has to do with welcoming and submitting to him in a personal relationship. Because both in the first century and here in the 21st century, Jesus is either rejected or he's received. There's really just two options when it comes to Jesus. Remember our study in Mark who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? Well, people respond in two basic ways. They reject Jesus or they receive Jesus. In other words, they believe not facts about him, but they believe him. They treasure him. They trust him. And notice it's not, John doesn't say they accepted Jesus. They went after Jesus. No, they received. They were presented with Jesus. The women are studying Colossians in a Bible study now, and I think they've already gone past Colossians 2, 6, and 7. But it's a great passage to memorize. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, I mean, on the street, most of us are familiar with the language, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? You know, in the proper context, that can make sense. But listen to what Scripture says. 
Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Receive Jesus. Now, in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, we read this. People come to Jesus and they say this, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Great question. Hey, Jesus, we hear you preaching and teaching and doing miracles, but really, Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And here's the answer Jesus gives. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Chapter 1, verse 12 of John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believed in his name. It refers to all that is true of him and therefore the totality of who Jesus is. Simply by trusting in Jesus rather than in ourselves and our own merits, we become beneficiaries of the grace of God in salvation. Just believe? Just receive? What's the catch? What is the catch? Here, the gospel once again presents itself as scandalous. That's all there is to it? Well, those of you that are trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, you know that may be the entrance, but that's not where it ends. It opens up a life of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. Believing, receiving. Our catechism says it well. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the gospel. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth, Receive her king. Well, what is the benefit of believing? Or put differently, what do you receive? What do you receive? For those of you listening closely or reading along, you saw that you received a right. You know, give me my rights. We are a nation that we want our rights. You know, the Bill of Rights. What Do we have a right to? Well, it's to become a child. We have a right of adoption because to believe is to become a child of God. This is not universalism, in other words, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, but rather this is particularism. It's neither physical birth nor ethnic descent nor human effort that can make people children of God, but it's only God's supernatural work. And therefore, this extends the possibility beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, all nations, and we see that being worked out as we work our way through Galatians. You know, it reminds me of uh, the book I read where the author says something like, when people say, Are you a Christian? Ask if you're a Christian. And the immediate response is, well, of course. Well, yes, I am. I I grew up in a Christian home or I I go to church. He said, stepping back, the real answer would be, 
Yes. And it's a miracle. Because as we saw, see in John, it's new birth. It's a supernatural birth. To believe is to become a child of God. It's to call God Father. It's the massive change brought about by Jesus. Every week in the Lord's Prayer, we remind ourselves, our Father. To be a, a child of God is to have God as your Father. And it's great joy. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has that we might be children of God. John, at the end of his gospel, says this. He's, he writes it so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing you will have life in his name. Well, with joy to the world, Watts transformed this old Jewish psalm of praise for some undetermined historic deliverance into a Christian song of rejoicing for the salvation of God that comes in and through Jesus Christ alone. Psalm 98 celebrated God's protection and restoration of His chosen people. Watts rejoices in that same thing. Look with me again. In his hymn, Psalm 98, it's really two parts. And joy to the world is part two. He's got three verses that precede joy to the world. And it's called praise for the gospel. You see, Watts sees the good news here in God's salvation and deliverance. And he sees it clearly through the lens of the New Testament when all of that is focused on Jesus Christ. And indeed, look at the title, the original title for Joy to the World, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. And it was written with a focus, again, on verse 9 to celebrate the Lord's Second coming. Again, there's no mention of the incarnation, but there is a mention of the Lord's return. His return in judgment. Because Watts does a great job in capturing the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, and that is the first and the second comings of Jesus. So over these next... Four weeks, we're going to look at the implications of joy in His coming, in His rule, in His blessing, and in His favor. Advent is a time of focused preparation. Focused preparation for the coming of Jesus. We look back at His first coming, and we look forward to His second coming, and we rejoice. We're living between the two advents of Jesus. Between His first advent and His second advent. So let me ask you this question. Do you right now have great joy at the thought of His coming again? Or rather, do you have great fear? Late Friday morning, I was in the car and I was listening to the radio and it ended up on 91.7. It was the end of morning edition. The, uh, inter the, the subject was a movie review of a, a current movie. And the um, person interviewing was uh, interviewing a Mexican filmmaker, Guillermo del Toro, regarding his latest movie, The Shape of Water. 
And this is how the interview ends. The host says, there is also in your work flirtation with the idea of an afterlife. What is it about that idea that captivates you? And the filmmaker says this, quote, I believe that we all have access to that moment of clarity, but we don't have it in a supernatural way. I don't think there is life beyond death. I don't. But I do believe that we get this clarity in, you know, the last minute of our life. The titles we achieved, the honors we managed, they all vanish. And you are left alone with you and your deeds and the things you didn't do. And that moment of clarity gives you either peace or the most tremendous fear because you finally have no cover and you finally realize exactly who you are. Well, my friends, the good news is that God's word already tells us exactly who we are. Both dead in sin, but also alive and made new in Christ. For the believer, there is great joy not only in the first coming of Jesus to deliver all of those who were held in fear, lifelong slavery to fear, There's good news and great joy in his first coming, but also his return in judgment because it will be a time of absolute justice. Are you longing for all the rights to be made wrong? Are you longing for the tears to disappear? For all to be made new? It's ahead. It will be a time for the believer of great joy, not fear. Joy and peace. I want to end with this. It's not just a call going out to the entire earth, to the world, but it's a call going out to every person. Let every heart prepare him room. So how do you prepare? How do you prepare? We prepare by repenting from and turning to. Repenting of sin and turning again and again to Jesus. So today, I want you to take a few moments sometime and ask yourself, how are you going to prepare? Come up with one thing you're going to do to prepare, as it were, for the coming of Jesus. Not only come up with one thing, but tell somebody, share it with somebody, and ask someone how they're preparing as well. My friends, the gospel declares great joy to the world, for the Lord is come. And it's interesting that in the language of that day, you said is come. It was the verb to be and not the had or have. The Lord is come. And there's a little bit of ambiguity, isn't there? The Lord is come, the Lord has come, and the Lord will come again. What a great thing to always keep in mind. Because the one who came in humility as a baby in grace will return in exaltation as a king in glory. My friends, between the already and not yet of our salvation is a great and a growing joy.
My friends, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. There is great joy for those who are trusting not in themselves, but in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, as he's made known in the gospel. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, those gathered here this morning and the ones standing here, we are all having to walk by faith and not by sight. And we are all having to deal with trials and temptations and difficulties, broken relationships and things that have gone south. Oh, Father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, um, give your people great joy in knowing their eternal destiny, in knowing that Jesus will never leave them. Oh, Father, indeed, let our voices individually join the great chorus of the earth rejoicing, the earth receiving her King. Oh, Father, there is great joy in the coming of Jesus, both his first coming, and his second coming. Would you enable your people to walk by faith and not by sight and to grow in joy? For we pray in his name. Amen.